Welcome to the Ardent Archives, a ministry of North Clay Baptist Church. Here we explore the writings of church history in order to edify and equip the saints in their ongoing discipleship. In this series, we are reading and discussing The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Written in the late 1600s, The Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory of the Christian life, following the main character, Christian, on his journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. More than any other work in the history of the church, The Pilgrim's Progress captures both the struggles and joys of living the Christian life in a way that is not only accurate, but enjoyable to read. So prepare yourself for an epic adventure as we embark on The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Hello again and welcome back to the Ardent Archives. Here we are discussing uh, The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. I am one of your hosts, Pastor Drew Bieber, and I'm here with my co-host, Pastor Josh McDaniel. And uh, today uh, we are actually going to be discussing the burden. Uh, what exactly the burden is, how Christian comes to know of his burden, uh, what life was like uh, with this burden, um, and whether or not we see others uh, throughout the story who who also carry a, a similar uh, burden. And so, Josh, uh, why don't you sort of introduce us to what this burden is exactly? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's a good starting place because in every, you know, illustration of Pilgrims of Progress, the the biggest, most prominent picture often on the cover is Christian walking around with this huge burden on his back. And it looks like this massive, you know, pack that's just overloaded and and it's it's far greater than he is. And it's 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 not just like a backpack drooping off of his shoulders. No, it's it's overtaking him, it's overcoming right, him right. on on top of his shoulders and it's weighing him down. And so more than anything else, that might be the most prominent image that comes to our mind when we think of the Pilgrim's Progress. Right. Well, I can say for myself, you know, I don't remember much about the book from, you know, my uh, my elementary school years, but I do remember the burden. Right. Because it's such a, uh, it, it, the picture or the image just grabs you. Right. What right. is wrong? What is that? Yeah. And, and so the burden has to be addressed. You know, it has to be seen. And and really, you jump into Pilgrim's Progress. You recognize that it's a dream that Bunyan is having. And you jump into this guy named Christian who's got a burden on his back. This overwhelming, fatiguing, crushing burden. And you're given no context to it at all. You're almost thrown into the middle of the story. Right, right. And even just the, the opening sentences, right? Uh, he says, uh, as I slept, I dreamed a dream. Uh, I dreamed and behold, I saw a man clothed with rags, standing with his face turned away from his own house with a book in his hand and a great burden on his back. Like you are just kind of dropped in the middle of, of this scene. Right. And, and you don't know in that initial statement, you have no idea where he is. You have no idea why he's wearing rags. You have no idea what this book is. And you have no idea what the burden is. Right, right. But it becomes immediately, or maybe not immediately, but it be very quickly it becomes evident what these things are. Yes. And yes. so the burden, and, and, and Christian is the only one who we ever see with a burden. Right. But uh, yeah. he is not the only person with a burden. Yeah. He's 
just the only one in this story who sees his burden. Yes. But everyone, it, it comes uh, later on uh, while he's on the, the journey, and he meets with a fellow who says, oh, you can go get your burden removed. You can get it moved, removed a, a completely different way. You can go get it you know, done. You don't have to do all this stuff that's, that's been Right, right. It implies that everyone here has a burden, but why is it that they can't see it? Or why is it that we're not introduced to these burdens on other places? And it has to do with this book that's in Christian's hand. And what I am convinced of, and, and, and Bunyan doesn't hide it, what this book is, is the very word of God. Yes. And so the word of God has revealed something to Christian. It's revealed to him that he is in rags and that he is overburdened. Yeah. Again, going back to the book, uh, when he meets Evangelist, Evangelist asks him why he's crying. And, and, and here's what he says. He says, sir, I realize by the book in my hand that I am condemned to die. And after that, to come to judgment. And I find that I am not willing to do the first nor able to do the second. Right. And so, you know, obviously there's no, uh, you know, there's no, there's no, sort of legend to this book that tells us, okay, this means this and this means this, you know, similar to a map where it tells you that, you know, the legend on a map tells you here's, you know, this little triangle means that it's a, you know, a phone booth, yeah, you know, and, and a little circle means that it's a gas station, whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, but we can tell by the context, this book is communicating to him that he's condemned to die. So it's not just that he's going to die, but that he's condemned to die and that after his death he is to face judgment. Right. And and that he he is he is so distraught because he realizes I don't I, I don't want to die and I'm not able to stand in judgment. Right. And so it's very clear that that the book he's speaking about is like you said the word of God. Right. The only place where we find the true account of our standing before God of the judgment before God of our need for salvation. The only place we find that is in the scripture. And so this book is absolutely God's word. It's the Bible. He is reading it. And specifically, what would he be reading that would bring about this burden? And before we go into maybe what text Bunyan had in mind, I think it's important to note that even though we see Christian has a burden and we don't see everyone else's in this story. It is implied that everyone else has a burden, but no one else sees it. No one else seems to be crushed under it. Right. So is the book, is it wrong to have read for him to have read this book? Is it wrong for him to be crushed under the weight of this burden? Everyone else thinks he's crazy. Everyone else thinks he's losing his mind. They either don't see their burden or they're not it's not a big deal to them at all. Yeah. But it's it's absolutely debilitating for Christian. So is it wrong for him to be in this book? And I think we would both agree. I know we would both agree. The answer to that's no. He needs well, to be in this book. Well, simply avoiding the book does not uh, take away the reality of his burden. Right. And, and it's not as if the book gave him a burden. It just... Uh, uh, sort of uh, awaken him to the fact that he has a burden. Right. And that's a huge distinction. The book didn't give him the burden. Right. So where did this burden come from? It was obviously on his back before. It was something that he 
was it he it was his means that yep. put that burden on that on his back. So what is it? And I think Bunyan might have had a few scriptures in mind. I want to read a few of them through the course of our discussion. I think one of those texts might have been Romans chapter seven, yeah. verses seven through nine. Uh, and Paul writes, "What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin." For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. And the allegory of Christian with his burden, staying there holding open the book, it makes those verses come alive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because we see, no, the the book, the law of God, which would be the commandments, the Old Testament, we see God's instructions to the people of Israel. The law is not sin. The law did not put sin upon us. Paul makes sure to say, by no means. Meganoita would be the Greek there. Meganoita. Yet, if it had not been in for the law, I would not have known sin. Right, right. If you are not acquainted with the law of God, you don't know you're standing before him. Right. Well, and he makes, Paul makes clear earlier in Romans, I think it's chapter three, where he talks about the, because we are all sons of Adam, we live with the stain of sin that our, our father Adam basically put on us as our federal head. We, um, we are guilty of, of Adam's sin, right? There's and, none righteous. And, and no, as he moves one. through, as he moves through Romans, he, he, he then gets to this, this portion where he's talking about the law and he doesn't say that the law is what placed me under Adam or right. the law is not what made me guilty of Adam's sin. I was already guilty of Adam's sin, but the law is what enlightened me to know that I was guilty of right. sin. It's it's what made me aware of the fact that I am a sinner and I am condemned to die and after that to face the judgment as as Christian right. said. Not just that I I have sin, but the depths of my sin yeah. and the consequences of my sin and and that I can say nothing in face of the charges that are leveled against me because right. I have sinned. And the law awakens that understanding. And it, it's interesting or interesting that he says, but sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetous, covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Yeah. So that's an interesting statement. Sin lies dead. What does that mean? Well, obviously, the sin's there. The sin was there, but... Sin lie dead within coveted. I might sin of covetousness lie dead until I understood I was a covetousness or I was right. a covetous person. Right. And then all of a sudden, that sin was awakened. Once I realized it was there, it was a burden upon my back. Yeah. It was alive to me. And so we see the people in this town that he lived, we don't see their burden. Why? No. Because sin is not alive to them. It is dead to them. Now, the reality of it is it is still very much in they are condemned under their sin. The law hasn't changed. Right. And neither right. is their condition. They just have no understanding of it. 
Yeah. It says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. And that's definitely the condition of Christian when evangelist shows up. He feels just dead. I mean, he says, I cannot stand and I can do nothing about this. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's, I think it's safe to say that this burden that Bunyan is talking about, this burden that Christian has on his back is, uh, is the weight of, of his sin. Right. And the knowledge of this burden, the knowledge of his sin came through the scriptures. It came through God's revelation. And, you know, one of the things, you know, I, I'm sure we could, we could come up with several definitions and they would all be right definitions of what exactly sin is. But I find that the most helpful definition is, is acting uh, in a way that it is, that is contrary to God's nature and character. We right. are right. his creatures. We are created in his image. Um, and when we do not reflect him rightly, when we do not image him rightly, essentially when we lie about who he is by, by engaging in, in sins that, that he himself does not engage in, uh, that, uh, that's, that's what sin is, right? And what we learn from scripture is that when God gives his law, God is essentially giving us a, a, an outline of who he is. He's giving right. us a, 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 basically an exposition of his character, uh, and the law rightly reflects his character. Uh, one of the helpful ways I think about this is, you know, the scripture says don't murder because God is not a murderer. Right. It says do not commit adultery because God is not an adulterer. It says not to lie because God's not a liar. It says not to steal because God's not a thief. These things are, are written in God's law because they rightly reflect who he is. And right. as his image bearers, we are also to rightly reflect who he is. And so we all have sinned and we have all fallen short of God's glory. Right. But it's not until we have this revelation of God's character that we can recognize, Oh, wait a second. I don't measure up. Oh, wait a second. That's who God is. Well, I am not like that. I, I, right. I, I live contrary to who God is. And if I'm supposed to be reflecting who he is, if I'm supposed to be reflecting his character, then I'm in big trouble because I, I don't do that. I have not been doing that. And I can't do that. There's no way for me to do this properly. Right. And and we see that Christian even takes this concern to his family. Yeah. I, I'm under this burden. And it's because I've been reading this book. And it's because I understand where I am in sight, in view of God. And he tries even to talk to his family in love, but certainly with fervor and and zeal and passion that this burden is real it's crushing yeah. me and it's and because it says, of this book and it says at this uh going back to the book at this his family was greatly bewildered not be not that they believed what he uh, had said to them was true but because they thought that his mind had become deranged and it's it's, it's interesting there they think he's the fool right and, you know, it, Psalm 14 tells us the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Yeah. They look at the teachings of Scripture. They hear the character of this God who is holy and perfect and Christian measures himself against that standard and he does not measure up. And they look at him and they say, that's nonsense. He right. is a fool. Well, and that's that's echoed again in uh, in Romans 1. 
where it says that claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And, and so it's, it's very clear that sinful man finds this notion of sin, finds this notion of, of, of the burden just absolutely preposterous. Right. Uh, this is, this is absolute nonsense. Why, why would you live like that? Um, and, and, and really what we see is that sinful man in claiming to be wise has actually made himself a fool. Right. Because they're turning a blind eye, an effective blind eye. Right. To the sin that is crushing them underneath its weight. And that's, and that's what Paul lays out just a few verses earlier in, in Romans 1.18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and yes. unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse." And that's and that's the reality. Although we don't see other people's burdens, although uh, they clearly are able to function and live in the world without um, really any reference to this burden that they carry on their backs, the truth is is that God has revealed Himself so much so. He had, and it's and this isn't just a, a revelation that's a you know just a general theism or just this idea of a higher power just this sort of God in general but it's specific right his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made so they are without excuse right right and so there's a natural question that comes up there all right Christian is right to have read the Bible. He is right to understand that he's under a burden. Yeah. He is right to know that he needs this burden gone. So the natural question that rises and that he even kind of states to evangelist is, what do I do about this burden? How do I get this off my back? And Well, an evangelist asks him, if this is your condition, why do you stand still? And he answers, because I don't know where to go. Right. And I think that's a very... Uh, 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 pointed illustration from from Bunyan that the law is insufficient to save. When we when we read God's law, when we see this reflection of His character, when we come to know who He is um, uh, through His law, that, that that law is insufficient to save. Christian reads this law; he sees that he's worthy of condemnation and death. He knows he has to face judgment, and yet he's left sort of just standing there, uh, you know, kind of with his hands up. I don't know what to do. I, I right. don't know what to do with my hands. Right. Right. There's this, Shrugging his shoulders, completely bewildered. I know there's a problem. I just, I I don't know what I'm supposed to do about it. And Paul says in Galatians 3, uh, verses 21 through 24, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. If if, if he could have done something about it by just following the law, I mean, he could have his own righteousness, but yeah. it doesn't work like that. He goes on, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And that 
term guardian there is really informative uh, for what Christian's going through. Yeah. This book has been a guardian. The Greek word there can be translated a couple different ways. My favorite or the most helpful that I've always seen was is, is called a tutor. Right. right. And or so, a guide. Yes, guide yeah. is another very good translation there. And so what is the role of a tutor or a guide? What is the role of a guardian? Well, to it's protect, yeah. but to instruct and to point you in the right direction. Yeah. A guide takes you where you need to go. A tutor takes you to a correct understanding and takes you to where the answers are are yes a guardian protects you and a guardian will go along the path and make sure you are headed in the right direction right so what does this law do the law shows us our burden and the law correctly wonderfully points us to the answer and that answer is jesus christ yes yes and we see that Christian knows there is nothing he can do about it. He cannot, in his own strength, get rid of this burden. He can't all of a sudden stop doing a sin, and that burden is going to be released. He yeah. is still crushed under the weight of it. It's not within his power to do anything. So where must he turn? What must he do? Well, the answer is in that book. And the answer is so eloquently stated by evangelists, flee from the wrath to come. Yeah. And it's not just fleeing from the wrath to come. You are fleeing to someone. Right, right. You are going to the king. You are going to Christ himself. Yeah. And I will say, uh, when when evangelist tells him to flee, Christian asks him, where must I flee? And, and Christian, uh, pointing his finger, uh, going back to the book, he says, pointing with his finger over a very wide field, said, do you see that yonder narrow gate? A man answered, no. Evangelist replied, do you see yonder shining light? And he said, I think so. He said, keep that light in your eye and go directly to it. And then you shall see a gate at which when you knock, you shall be told what you must do. And, uh, you know, we've, we've re- referenced Spurgeon already uh, speaking about this book. And, and Spurgeon had, has, you know, has said that next to the Bible, the book he valued the most was the Pilgrim's Progress. Right. Uh, but I've also read that this was uh, one of Spurgeon's one criticisms of the book. And his criticism was that when uh, Evangelist is conversing with Christian and Christian asks him, where must I flee? Uh, Spurgeon says what he should have written is flee to Christ. Mm-hmm. And you know, instead, uh, what Evangelist says is, is he he sends him towards this narrow gate. And I don't necessarily think that this is, you know, I, I do understand Spurgeon's right. criticism. And I do too. And I get what he's, you know, kind of what he's saying. Uh, but um, I, I, I do think that at the same time, what, what, what we see Evangelist, when he says, when he's pointing him to the narrow gate, uh, when he says, do you see that shining light? And he says, keep that light in your eye and, and head towards that light. I do believe what, what we're seeing here is a, uh, a, a presentation of, of the gospel. It, it, and, and it may yeah, not, too. you know, as Spurgeon said, it's, it's not a very clear presentation from Evangelist. Obviously, this is a story. This is an allegory. Um, and so, you know, the, I you know, I do think that there's some room for, um, you know, things not to be as uh, as clear. But what we're seeing from Evangelist is he's pointing Christian in a particular direction and saying this is the only 
way to be rid of your burden. This is the only way to be rid of your sin. And what we find out later is that he's sent on this path. He goes through this narrow gate and he is eventually led to the cross. And that's, and that's exactly where evangelist was uh, taking him to. That's exactly what he was pointing him to is he was pointing him to the only true way, the only true person through which he can be rid of his sin. He can be rid of this burden on his back. And so, like I said, I do understand Spurgeon's criticism and, and to a, a certain degree, I, I, I do agree with him, but I, I at the same know. time, I do think what, when, when evangelist is pointing him to the narrow gate, what he's actually doing is he's actually laying out the gospel for him. Hey, this is what you must do to be rid of your burden. Well, and what does he, he specifically says, keep what in your eye? Keep the light. The light. Eye. And who is the light of the glory of the gospel? It's Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. Who is the light of heaven? It's Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. I think within the realm of allegory, which that's firmly what this is. Absolutely. Um, I believe it's appropriate for him to say, "Keep the light in your eye," mm-hmm. because he hasn't even he hasn't even gone so far as to say, "I don't believe this early on that that the the book is the Word of God, that the book is the Bible, that is the Scripture." But it's painfully evident. In the same way, keep the light in your eye. When you know the scripture, you yeah. recognize the yeah. light of the world is Jesus. The light of heaven is Jesus. The light of the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I do think it's it's a good illustration as well. Uh, uh, the fact that he is, you know, not just pointing him in the right direction, but he's also setting him on a path to Christ. Um, and I do think that's very contrary to what we see in today's age with a lot mm-hmm. of easy believism, easy decisionism. Um, you know, I can't remember who I heard say this, but it's always stuck with me after hearing that, uh, when, when speaking on the modern church, they said, you know, we, as God's people, as God's church, we're called to make disciples. And he said, we're not very good at making disciples because we spend all our time trying to make decisions for Jesus. We try to get people to make decisions for Jesus rather than make disciples. Right. And, you know, obviously this is a story, so I don't think this would actually happen. But it is interesting that when Christian says, where must I flee? He doesn't go, oh, well, just raise your hand and pray this prayer after me. Right. Right. Instead, he sets him on a on a on a path, on a journey to Christ. And that's I, I do think that's reflective of the true Christian experience is that it isn't absolutely it isn't as easy as just, well, let me just pray this prayer. We don't see anything like that in the scriptures. We don't see any example from Christ or from the apostles that this is how uh, one comes to be saved. Uh, but what we do see is that we are given a presentation of the gospel. We are, well, we are given the revelation of God's law so that we may be convicted of our sin and we are right. given a presentation of the gospel. And it's the spirit who does this work over time, right? right. It's, not, it's not as if as soon as Christian you know, is told, keep the light in your eye, it's like, oh, the burden is off my back. It's Christ. Right. It's not that simple, right? There's, right. there's a process that takes place. And that's a big distinction. Because there are many, many people within the church, many people who know Christ is the answer. They know the light. They have maybe even been pointed to the light and seen that light, but they have never come to the cross of Christ and their burden is still heavy upon their backs. I mean, and we see that in uh, obstinate and pliable, you know, they, they follow after Christian. They, uh, to some level, whether they are. Well, you know, sort yeah. of taking on Christian's own conviction or they actually have, you know, some uh, minute level of, of yeah, they're uh, conviction trying to, themselves. At first, they're trying to take him back. Obstinate, 
you know, flees immediately. But right. Priable says, well, I'll go with you a little ways. Yeah. yeah, I'll go with you a little bit. Yeah. And and eventually he returns to the city of destruction. Right. And, and it like was far you said, worse for him to have. It was far worse for him to yeah. have followed even the little bit that he did. Right. Right. Because if you keep the light in your eye, if you know the answer, but you don't come to the cross of Christ, then it's even worse for you yeah. than when you started. Right. Right. Absolutely. And so, you know, it's, I, I just, I love the way that Bunyan sort of, sort of frames this up in, you know, in the sense that there is, you know, we, we see that this burden is, is given, uh, or, or is revealed to Christian as he reads from the book, as he reads from God's word, as he reads from God's law, seeing that he has broken God's law, that he's worthy of condemnation. He's worthy of judgment. And, um, I do also love the fact that it's not until, he meets evangelists that he knows where to go. Right. And I do, and I I do believe that that's, that's very telling as far as, um, you know, the way that, that God has ordained to bring people unto himself is, is God is, you know, all powerful, all knowing he can do anything he wants. And yet in his sovereignty, he has determined that the way I'm going to bring people to myself is through the foolishness of preaching right through uh is through human agents right Uh, i was listening to um a series from greg bonson who's you know one of my favorite Mm -hmm. hands down my favorite apologist but he's also uh more and more as i listen to him he's becoming one of my favorite theologians as well but he was uh teaching this class to a young men who are uh preparing to become elders and one of the things he mentioned is that God has determined that he is going to use his people to care for his people. Right. That he didn't use angels to care for his people. He he wants to use his people to care for his people. Right. And just the way he sort of framed that up, just really, you know, it was really humbling to hear that. Right. Because God could have uh, chosen some other way. Right. You know, other than fallen men who... Uh, who have been redeemed, but yet, but yet he determined that this was how he was going to do he's, it. He's made us a part of his kingdom's work, right? His kingdom's plan, his kingdom, his kingdom purpose. Yeah, and that is humbling. And that's what we see in in evangelist is that Christian comes under the weight of conviction, and it's not until a human agent brings him the gospel that he realizes, okay, I need, here's what I need to do about it. Right. You know. Right. And of course, what he needs is to flee the city of destruction, which is where he lives. Again, this is allegory. It's on the nose. Right. He's fleeing the city of destruction. He leaves behind his wife and children because he is called to a greater light, the light of the glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ, by a human agent who is obviously had a burden just like him right. that's been right. removed. And this human agent says, go to that light. And it's there that he'll find salvation. And and it's so interesting that the bulk of the book takes place after his salvation. Right, right. Which but I, I do the, find it interesting that, you know, he... He's made aware of this burden and pretty much up until he gets rid of it, his whole um, his whole like purpose for even 
embarking on this journey was I need to get rid of this burden. I need to get rid of this burden. Yes. I I'm, you know, when he meets, um, other pilgrims or he meets other people. Uh, he's, he's constantly talking about, I need to get rid of my burden. I need to get rid of my burden. And yet after he does get rid of his burden, it's almost as if his, his purpose as a pilgrim changes somewhat. Now it's no longer, I need to get rid of my sin. It's like, I need to pursue the celestial city. Right. Right. It's almost like the story begins once the burden is gone. We hope that you enjoyed this discussion of the Pilgrim's Progress, and we hope that it has been edifying to you and your walk with Christ. Now, this conversation is by no means exhaustive, so we pray that our discussion leads to meaningful conversations with friends and family as you consider what it means to be a pilgrim in this world. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to contact us at podcasts at northclay.org. For more information from North Clay Baptist Church or from the Ardent Archives, visit our website at www.northclay.org. We look forward to learning with you again soon here on the Ardent Archives.